Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Um, the servant of God, how God takes, shapes and uses a life for his purpose. And, uh, you know, I give the same kind of illustration every week that, that I'm trying to help us to understand that, that God is not like your best buddy who sort of goes along with you in life and, you know, you're arm in arm. You know, when I was a teenager, I had, you know, guys who were my best friends and we'd go along and have adventures together. God, God isn't like that. I know it's nice to think of God like that, but God is great and marvellous. And actually, as we were singing, you get that sort of little picture of the greatness of God. And what you don't want to do is reduce God then to something that you can put in your pocket and you can reduce God. And, and Moses helps us understand this because he is a man whom God takes. And Moses had his own dreams, he had his own gifts. He was, uh, he, in, it talks about him being mighty in word and deed. But God takes him, shapes him, and then uses him for his, that's God's purposes. He doesn't use him for Moses' purposes. Moses had one idea about what he wanted his life to be. God took him and used him in a very different way. And, uh, and I, I, basically what I'm saying in these, in these sort of talks is, if you want to be used in a way that is really, really meaningful and fruitful, it's best to allow God to shape you. And to, and to take hold of you rather than for God to join you on your journey and, you know, your adventure. Come on, God, we can do this. Uh, no, no, you know, it's very different to that. And it's trying to get that sort of picture because we live in a world where we're very resourceful. Um, uh, many of us in, in here, I don't include myself in this, you're, you're very bright, you can do stuff. Um, but sometimes you need to put all that aside and put all that down, your own dreams your own dreams either for ministry or material things in life, you need to put all that down and say, God, I'm yours. And that's what Moses ended up doing. It took him years to get there. But once he got there, what he achieved in his life, he could never have achieved on his own. And you'll see as the story unfolds why God needed it to be that way and not any other way. So... We've been going through this story for a while. Last week we looked at the plagues. Uh, I was able to talk about uh, some things that were quite personal to me. I don't like frogs and other things like that. Um, and I told you those kind of things. I realised that generally I just don't like animals. I, I realised that. I, I thought I was more. I thought I was broader than that. I remember as a kid wanting to be a zoologist, but I'm sure that <laughs> that could have only lasted a day. That thought, I used to quite like watching David Attenborough when I was a kid. And, uh, but as I've grown older, uh, me and animals, we don't do well together. So we looked at the plagues. And this week, we're looking at the final plague and the Passover. And it's really interesting that we're doing that. We're just a couple of weeks away from Easter. So it's quite appropriate to be looking at the Passover. And so I'm going to read just a few passages, a few scriptures to give us a, a picture of where we're going today, and then I'll speak into them. So um, Exodus, it's chapter 11 and verse 1. I'm just going to read a few verses and then a few verses out of chapter 12. 
the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbour and every woman of her neighbour for silver, silver and gold jewellery. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in sight, the sight of the people. Then chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And then verse 21 says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the do two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we thank you that you're with us, and we thank you that your word is true, and we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit that we might understand your word, and that we might know and experience your faithfulness in our own hearts. And I pray this morning that you would speak, that you would bring revelation, that you would strengthen our hearts and encourage us in the faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we have this final plague, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing story, really. If you think back to, uh, to right, chapter 1 of Exodus, just to put it in some sort of context in chapter 1, uh, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of that particular day, he fears 
the Israelites because they're multiplying too quickly. And what does he do? He gives this edict that all uh, the, the male children of Israel should be thrown into the Nile. And so he's like trying to destroy this people. And it's in that group that Moses is born. He's born at that time and he is saved from that destruction by Pharaoh's own daughter. And this is God at work. This isn't just sort of coincidence. This is God working. And God speaks to to Moses. Moses has a sense, even as he grows up, that there's something about him, something about what God wants to do in and through him. And and you know the story. He goes goes to uh, um, see an Egyptian and an Israelite uh, fighting, and he kills the Egyptian. Uh, And then the next day when he sees two Israelites fighting, he tries to reconcile them. And they turn on him and said, who made you Lord over us? Who made you judge over us? And Moses recognises, oh my goodness, it's been discovered what I've done. And remember, he went in there to try and help and he ends up running out of fear. He runs away fearful of his own life because really God hadn't called him yet. He was right about one thing. There was something stirring in him about the people. There was something about the oppression of the people that was in him, that he wanted to do something about it, but it wasn't for him to do it. It was for God to do it. And God might have used Moses, but it wasn't for Moses. And so Moses runs away, and the story is he sits down at a well, and just in my mind, when he sits down at that well, he's devastated. He's he's absolutely undone because the very thing that he thought he was called to do, he has been unable to do. He has failed dismally. He sits down by the well and and he's like, oh, his dreams have been shattered. The thing he thought he had been raised to do, it had all come to an end. And so he then finds uh, God again is very gracious to him and he he ends up finding a... Uh, Jethro, who was the priest of Midian, and, and, and he joins them. He, he, he finds himself a wife. And then for 40 years, he lives in the desert as a shepherd. And probably during those 40 years, just it all goes. All the angst, all the stirring, all the, oh, I've got to do something. It just, just goes. It goes. And maybe he, it all just dies. And at the end of 40 years, Moses is in a place where he can hear God. That's one of the ways you can describe the story of the burning bush. He's in a place where he can hear God. God speaks to him. God encounters him. Moses now is very reluctant after his previous failure. He's very reluctant to step in. But eventually he decides and he steps in and God sends him back to Egypt. But you know the story. He goes back to Egypt and initially he fails again. He comes to Pharaoh, he, he tells them, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, who, who are you? Who's the Lord that I should let his people go? Pharaoh sort of scorns him. And so, and as a result of that, Moses comes away and Pharaoh goes, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to increase the burden on these people. And the people turn to Moses and almost say, we wish you'd never come back. They almost say that to him. And, and again, he's devastated. But God, who is gracious, and God, who had taken hold of him, comes to him again. And he promises, I'm going to do this. I am going to bring these people out. I am going to show Pharaoh who the Lord is. I am going to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham. He tells him again what he's going to do. And then last week, we find 
uh, Moses now in that place where he is literally a messenger of God. It's not about, I have to say this, I've said this again, it's not about his gifts. It's not about his personality. It's not about his experience. It's literally about his ability to be obedient to what God says. God tells him to do stuff. He just goes and does it. He doesn't question. He doesn't go, uh, you want me to strike the ground? And that's really? He doesn't question. He doesn't even question the consequences of it. He just does it. And in a way, that's the place we all want to get to, where God just speaks and, and I just act. God says and I just act. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not justifying it. I'm not rationalizing it. I'm not trying to work it out. I'm just doing it. Remember when Peter walked on the water, Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, say, tell me to come. Tell me to come. And when Jesus has come, Peter steps out of the boat. And what does he do? As long as his eyes are on Jesus, he can walk on water. It's a supernatural act, but he can walk on water as long as his eyes are on Jesus. The moment his eyes leave Jesus, the waves and the storm and everything, and he sort of, he begins to sink. But as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he can walk on water. As long as Moses' eyes are on God, he can bring a people out of slavery. He cannot do it because it's the right thing to do. He can't do it because he's a big personality. He can do it because his eyes are on God. He said, God, you tell me to do it, I'll do it. And so we looked at the, those nine plagues where, in effect, Pharaoh sets himself up against God. And, and Pharaoh thinks it's Pharaoh, Moses, Pharaoh and his gods, Moses and his gods. And Moses almost wants to say to Pharaoh, it's not like that. The God behind me is not a joke. He's not like just some little person. It's not like you and I play. This is the real God, Pharaoh. Don't play with him. But Pharaoh doesn't know that. Who's the Lord, he says. And so we come to this final plague. You see, Pharaoh's time is coming to an end. He doesn't know that yet, but his time is coming to an end. And God determined how the battle was going to begin. He's also decided how the battle is going to end. He's going to bring the people out. He's going to make Pharaoh release them. And it's interesting because Because Moses, and I'm loving going through the story of Moses, because Moses himself, he's not Mr. Confident. There's a moment before he comes to Pharaoh with the plagues, he says, but I'm a man of faltering lips, how can I say anything? And God says to him, you will be like a god to Pharaoh. And it's almost like that comes to being. Moses has become very great. They are beginning to look upon him going, okay, we understand that your god is a bit bigger than our god. And then even God had said previously to Moses, look, when you come out, the Egyptians are going to be favorably disposed to you and they're going to give you stuff. God tells him all of this before. So we get to this moment. And, and it's interesting as the moment carries on, you can begin to see what God is actually trying to do. See, he shifts his focus. His focus is no longer on this game with Pharaoh. He's played that for a little bit. Yeah, he's taught Pharaoh a few lessons. Now his focus is on Israel. And he says to Moses, when you come out, this is the first day of a new month. This is your new year. This is the year of deliverance for you. That's what he says to Israel. This will be something that you will remember 
from this moment till the end of time. I brought you out. Now we must understand, God is saying, you're going to remember this, not because it's a moment simply of deliverance out of slavery, but it's a moment where God delivered them out of slavery. That was the point. The point wasn't that it was slavery was being overcome here, the oppressed person was, being, was, was coming out of it. It was the fact that God had done it. That's why they were to remember it. It wasn't simply that it happened. A new nation was to be born, a new start of the year, an annual reminder of God's faithfulness and power in delivering them from Egypt. So God wasn't just about, he was dealing with Pharaoh, he's moved on now, Israel. This is why we're doing it. And so we come to the Passover. And I imagine if we had been God, or if God had followed my plan, I'm not sure I would have put the Passover in here. Yeah, I would have thought, I'm sure that goes somewhere, but not now. This is a moment for us to celebrate the freedom from slavery. But God puts in here the Passover. He puts in here something different. And the Passover was to be a special meal to commemorate a very significant event. You see, up to this point, Israel had just watched God interact with Pharaoh. They didn't do anything. In those nine plagues, there's nothing asked of them. There are even moments when God says, I'm going to punish Egypt here and I'm not going to punish my people Israel. How he manages to do that, I don't know, but he did that. Israel do nothing. They sit around and they just watch. Oh, what happened to that? Well, the frogs came. Did you see? They were on the other side of the road. They never even crossed the road. The frogs were going up the road into Egypt, into amongst all the houses, and there wasn't a frog over here. They probably had those kind of conversations. Did you see the locusts? They flew over us and they landed there. They didn't touch us. They must have had those kinds of conversations and then they would have said, and, and did you see the next day Moses went out and he, he sort of waved that stick he's got and the frogs went. They must have been marvelled at it but they didn't have anything to do with it. They only reaped the benefits. And it's worth just pointing out because it becomes really apparent that God's dealings with Israel, which is different with his dealings with Egypt, is pure grace. Israel were not special because they were special. Israel was special because God had chosen them, and that made them special. But he didn't choose them because they were good or great or particularly clever. He didn't even choose them because they were the oppressed. He chose them because he chose them. And he was fulfilling this thing to Moses because he had promised Abraham hundreds of years before, I'm going to deliver my people. He says to Abraham, you're going to die in peace. They're going to go into slavery, but I'm going to bring them out. He promised it. It is only at the 10th plague that they have something to do. Yeah? So now their blessing has a condition. It has a condition. Go and find a lamb. Go and kill the lamb. Go and pour the blood into a basin. And go and take a hyssop branch and paint on your doorposts the blood. It was a, and then you're to eat the lamb. And you're to eat it, it says, in haste. As though you're about to, you've got to get up and go. So you're meant to you know, tuck your tunic in and you're meant to eat it quickly. In haste. He gives all these instructions about the lamb, and this is going to be a reminder to you. So it's really 
probably obvious now why we have red ribbons on our wrists. And I, I do have the pair of scissors to cut them off if yours is tied on. Because God says, this final plague is irreversible. Some of the other plagues he reversed. This final plague was irreversible. And this final plague was the ultimate plague of life and death. God was to show Egypt, I have power over life and death. And I can determine things. And what does he say to Israel? Paint your doorposts with blood. And where the doorposts are painted with blood and you are inside, you are safe. That's what he said to them. So I've told us to put red ribbon on our right wrists. Because this is no different, in a way, to the Passover. If you have a red ribbon on your right wrist, when God comes again, you're safe. You're safe. Now, some of you thinking, why didn't I put the ribbon on? Why did I put it on my left wrist? Why did... But you're safe. Now, the reason that that's so important is you realise that salvation, even for the Israelites, had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with their ethnicity. It had nothing to do with their oppression. It had nothing to do with anything other than the blood on the doorposts. It was the blood that saved them. It was nothing about them. And God wanted to remind them in this meal, the blood saved you. The blood you put on the doorpost. Now that in itself must be faith because you're thinking, how's the blood going to stop the angel of darkness coming? And just, how's, it, how's he going to know? But actually in Hebrews it, it tells us that, that, that Moses did the Passover through faith. He believed, okay God, if you say the blood saves, the blood saves. So all they had to do was put the blood on the doorposts. God then releases that plague of the firstborn and uh, his final act of judgment over Egypt. He takes the life of every firstborn. He's teaching Egypt something and he's teaching the world something that I'm God and you're not. Pharaoh knows who the Lord is now. He actually doesn't have long, we discover, to appreciate that. But he knows who the Lord is now. He even says to Moses, look, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? He recognises it's something more than he has. It's clearly the hand of God. Now, in our modern day, we struggle with the idea, really, God killed those people? Really? That doesn't sound like a God of love. But you need to understand who God is. He's, he punishes these people. Not that these people are undeserving of punishment, but he does, God does punish sin. And he will always punish sin. And has always done that. It's interesting that Moses becomes the nemesis of Egypt when he was saved at that moment, I suppose, of, of the worst time in their history in, in Egypt when the babies were being thrown into the Nile. So as I've tried to explain that the Passover was a day of commemoration for Israel. It was to commemorate God bringing them out of Egypt, 
that half the promise God had always promised to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land, half that promise was now being fulfilled, that they would now have a meal that would commemorate that every year. And that their salvation came about through the blood of a lamb that they painted on the doorposts. It's interesting because you go forward a few thousand years. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed. That the very same thing that happened to Israel in Egypt when the blood was put on the doorpost in order that they could be saved happened to us. When Jesus hung on the cross and died and his blood was shed, it was in order that we could be safe. One of the biggest challenges we have with salvation in our modern era is it's really, really easy to link it to works. It's really easy to link it to what we consider to be Christian activity. This is what Christians do. They go to church, they do this, and good Christians go to these kinds of churches, they raise their hands and work. This is what it means to be Christian. What it means to be Christian is to trust the blood. You trust in the blood. You go, Jesus, this is why I am safe. I am not safe because of anything I have done. I am safe because of the blood. So you can look at your wrist with your red ribbon. Look at your wrist with your red ribbon. Hold your red ribbon in the air on your wrist. And you realise when you look at that red ribbon, uh, you might think, oh, it makes me look pretty smart here. But in reality, this has nothing to do with me. Yeah? My salvation has nothing to do with me. When the destroyer comes, I go like this. And I trust that the blood does its job. Do you know what that should do for all of us? You should be free. You should be, thank you, God. Salvation is not a matter of works. It's not a matter of effort. It's not a matter of duty. It's a matter of trusting in the blood. You do need to do that. You need to trust in the blood. Jesus became our Passover lamb. And it's really interesting when you look at these two stories. You look at the Passover um, uh, back there in Exodus, which was a wonderful commemorative event in Israel. But God always had in mind this bigger Passover. It was never just about Israel. It was never just about this ethnic group. God was always going to save the world through faith, through his son, always. He pointed to that from Abraham when he says to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing and through you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. He was always pointing to the moment where his son would come. He was pointing to that moment. And just as with Israel, when God said, this is going to be the first day of a new year. Do you know what happened when Jesus rose from the dead? the Christians began to worship on Sundays because that was the day he rose. So you worship. Every time you come to worship, Sunday by Sunday, you are reminded we worship on Sundays because that's the day Jesus rose. It's that constant reminder of what he has done. 
Jesus, when he was with his disciples, and obviously Emma spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, instituted communion. What was communion about? If it wasn't the Christian equivalent of the Passover, it was the body that was broken, it was the blood that was shed. Do this, every time you do this, remember. You see, God needs us to remember. And it's really important that we remember, because when, if we don't remember, we can begin to think that we've done something. Oh, you know, maybe I've, look what's happened to me, look at all the good things that have happened in my life. Israel were never to forget. It wasn't just about coming out of slavery, it was about God, ultimately. It was all about God. God saying to them, I need you to remember what I've done. I need you to remember, and and one of the ways you're going to remember is through this Passover. You see, sometimes we can forget what God has done. And you'll know quickly, one of the tragedies of this story, really, is that we look at Pharaoh, this, this evil man who does all those evil things, and we discover a little later on that the same hardness of the heart that was in Pharaoh is in Israel. It's in those very same people which is why it's not about oppression and and the oppressed. It's always been about the heart. Because because the very people that were being oppressed there suddenly are hardened to God over here. He was always going to send the Son. And we must remember, sometimes we can forget what God has done, just like Israel forget, just like Israel complain as they go on. They forget that they live in a miracle that their whole existence outside of Egypt was a miracle. They forget that and they complain about onions and garlic back in Egypt. Yeah? We must be careful that we don't go down that stage where we're thinking, we've been in, God's done so many wonderful things for us. He's brought us in to the church, whichever church that we've grown up in, and we can begin to get a little bit cynical about it. But actually, God has done a marvellous thing and we must remember it. And he didn't bring them out so that they could do their own thing. He brought them out so that they might become his. He did that for Israel out of Egypt. He does that for us through the cross. He doesn't set you free from sin and and fear and slavery and death and all of that in order that you can do your own thing. He does that so that you will be his. So that you will tell others about him. We're taken out of slavery to sin to form a people. Hebrews 11, 28 says, By faith Moses kept the Passover, the sprinkling, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. You see, the key ingredient in the Christian life is one key ingredient, really. It's not worship and prayer. It's faith. Do you believe it? And I don't mean, oh, of course I believe it. You know, I could write an essay on faith, yeah? Many of us, you could write essays on faith. I'd probably only get a C on my essay on faith. Some of you would get an A star. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you live according to the faith? Jesus' death and resurrection, the shedding of his blood, is enough for me to be saved. Do I have faith? Not not faith in my experience. Not faith in my own inherent goodness. 
Not faith in the fact that the church may or may not be growing in different parts of the world. Do I have faith in the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection is enough for me? That's where the faith is. The faith has to be in God. It has to be in the blood. And that's really important for us because we live in a world and we live at a time where so many other things can come in. And we, it's very easy for us to find faith in different things. I can find faith in all sorts of things. I mean, I follow a guy on Twitter and he sent out a Twitter message that said, you know, there are more Christians in the world than, than there are. It's the fastest growing religion in the world. And you can go, oh, I'm so glad about that. Yeah, I'm so glad it's growing, whatever. But my faith, my salvation is not based on whether it's growing. My salvation is based on whether I believe. I believe. Do I believe in Jesus? And I know at one level I'm, I'm speaking to many people who believe. But I'm encouraging you to have faith, to trust him. And not just to trust him for your salvation, trust him for your life. Trust him for your life. Do what Moses did. Put aside your thoughts, your ideas, your vision, your ministry, your, your goals and purpose. Put them aside and trust him. Trust him. Lose control of your own life in order that he might have control of your life. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I think that's the way to go if you want to really be used by God. Otherwise, you, you are just like taking God on a journey. And he comes with you wherever you go. And obviously the Holy Spirit is with you, but actually the Holy Spirit wants to use you where you are. We talked about that with Moses, how, how Moses became like God to Pharaoh and he engaged with Pharaoh. And God wants to use you where you are that you might become like God to whoever you're around, to people who don't know him. But trust him. What does it mean for you to trust him? What does it mean for you to put your faith in him? Let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Hey, Phil, can, you, can we just sing Light of the World? Is that okay? We don't necessarily need a full band, but just encourage you to just to come before him. Maybe you need to just say to God, I, I trust you, God. Jesus, I, I, I trust I certainly trust that my salvation is in you. I, I get that. I don't, I don't look at myself at all for, for salvation. I, and it's not just a learned thing. It's my experience that you saved me. I didn't save myself. And probably most of us could say that. But I want us also to be able to say, and I trust you with my life. I trust you with my hopes and my dreams. I trust you with my passions and my energies. 
I trust you with the things that I even think you've promised me. I trust you with them. I trust you. I look to you for those things. I don't look to myself. I put aside my own abilities to do stuff, to make things happen. And then sometimes I can make things happen and I can say, look what the Lord has done, but I've made things happen. There's a big difference between what Moses did when he was 40 and he confronted the Egyptian and what God did. There's a huge, huge difference. And we want to move to that place where what we do is what God does. Because everything else only has a, has a shelf life, really. So, Father, we trust you. We say, just as a, as a community, that we trust you. We love you. And, Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith and you would strengthen our faith, both in our salvation and also in, our, in, in your lordship of our lives. So as we sing this song, it's really simple. You just might want to uh, maybe recommit yourself to him. And where maybe you feel there are certain things you can't let go of because you don't know what he'll do. That's some, sometimes the problem. God, I don't know what you'll do if I let go of that. So I, I don't think I can let go of it. That area of me has to remain my area. Uh, maybe today you want to let go of it. You want to say, I trust you, God. I do. I trust you. Let's sing together. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.